Welcome to this Friday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In the show today, I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news. I start with regional ag news right after this word from our sponsor. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. To ensure California citrus growers are well prepared in the event of a potential commercial grove detection of Wanalong Bing, the deadly citrus plant disease that can be spread by the Asian citrus ciliad, the Citrus Pest and Disease Prevention Program has developed a response guide for growers to utilize and educate themselves on the California Department of Food and Agriculture's action plan. The response guide for a confirmed HLB positive detection in a commercial grove details the steps taken by CDFA and actions required of the proper or grove owner as outlined in CDFA's action plan. The actions in a response guide represent the most effective tools known to the citrus industry at this time and are meant to protect California citrus groves and support CDFA's current required regulatory response. While as of today there have been no positive detections of HLB in a commercial citrus grove, CDPPP recognizes the importance of proper preparation. In addition to the requirements outlined in the guide, growers are encouraged to use as many methods as feasible for their operation in order to limit the spread of the ACP and HLB. To read and download the response guide, please visit the California Department of Food and Agriculture website. And speaking of CDFA, more than a quarter of the world's biodiversity lives below ground in the soils, and about a third of the biodiversity in the United States is in California. California farmers and ranchers understand the fundamental importance of the soil that is the foundation of their work, and scientists are working to help everyone understand it even better. Join a panel of experts on Monday, December 5th for a free webinar called Building Below Ground Biodiversity. The California Department of Food and Agriculture is working alongside growers to improve soil health in part by convening the Below Ground Biodiversity Advisory Committee made up of world-renowned scientists to generate recommendations on biodiversity indicators as a proxy of soil health and ecosystem functions. Four of the CDFA committee members make up the panel webinar for the special Healthy Soils Week event. Presenters will also share some of the work that they have completed. For information, log on to the California Department of Food and Agriculture website. The webinar will be held again on Monday, December 5th. It begins at 10 a.m. And according to the USA National Agricultural Statistics Service, stone fruit orchards have been pruned in preparation for the dormant season. Kiwi harvest is underway. Some table grape vineyards have been harvested. Already harvested grape vineyards continue to go dormant. Persimmons were in a peak of the harvest season here recently. Persimmons are in a peak of harvest. Pomegranate harvest near completion, with a few fields still being cleaned up. Naval orange harvest is ramping up with inspectors checking sugar levels that were seasonally high. Grapefruit, pomelos, mandarin, lemon and lime harvest continue. In the nut crops, low producing and undesirable varieties of almond and walnut trees have been removed. Late variety walnut harvest continues to wind down for the season and pecan husks have begun to split. In the vegetable crops, butternut squash and broccoli have been harvested in the Capay Valley. Stanislaus County sweet potato harvest has ended. Lettuce, onions and other fall vegetables have been harvested in Tulare County. Fields are being prepped for winter plantings. 
Full Harvest, the business-to-business produce marketplace specializing in surplus and imperfect produce, has announced the acquisition of Farmers Web, a farm sales and inventory management staff provider. Adding Farmers Web proven software capabilities to its technology pipeline, Full Harvest now has the ability to speed the delivery of advanced features for its produce suppliers and buyers, drawing a more efficient, sustainable produce supply chain. Digitizing produce buying and selling through its online marketplace, Full Harvest quickly and efficiently connects growers with produce produce buyers to unlock new revenue channels and minimize food waste, according to the company. As a major milestone in Full Harvest mission to solve the produce distribution efficiency problem and reduce farm-level waste, the addition of Farmers Web's advanced software features such as inventory and other management as well as payments will enable growers to bring even more produce to market faster. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Researchers at the University of California, Riverside, have been conducting research on a potential threat to the U.S. avocado industry. Mark Hoddle, an extension specialist in the Department of Entomology at UC Riverside, tells us more about the proactive research he and his team are currently working on. The avocado seed weevil currently is not present in California. It's a significant pest in Mexico. And our project is trying to get a jump start on potential invasive insect problems that could come to California. And we identified avocado seed weevil as a potential threat because of the importation of fresh fruit out of Mexico into California and other parts of the United States. So the idea behind this proactive work, it's pretty simple, really. Um, we've sort of looked to the horizon to try and identify invasive pest problems that could potentially come to California. Then we get funding for those potential pest problems, and then we go back to the home range or the native area of that pest and begin researching possible control methods for that organism. And we want to do that prior to it coming to California. And the reason we're interested in doing this is that often our approach, instead of being proactive, we're often reactive. We don't do anything until the pest has shown up, starts causing damage, begins to spread. And by the time we get our research programs organized and get our IPM programs developed, we've lost maybe two or three years of time. So we're trying to cut that down to almost no time lost and having basically management packages up our sleeves ready to go. So with that in mind, um, what we thought would be a good idea would be to identify these aggregation pheromones that are associated with these types of weevils. And if we could identify them and demonstrate field efficacy, then we'd have a monitoring tool already in place for detecting incursions of avocado seed weevil into California. And an additional benefit to having that pheromone would be that in the areas in Mexico that export fruit where the weevil is native, we could begin monitoring programs down there to verify that those orchards are clean and that those production areas are up to uh, USDA standards for exporting fruit to the United States. So that those are the goals and the purpose behind these proactive programs targeting some of these pests overseas before they get here. Although the avocado seed weevil is a prominent pest in areas outside of the U.S., there is little that is known about it. Hoddle said another goal of this research project is to help close some of the knowledge gaps about this pest. Yeah, that's really one of the things that's quite astonishing to me about these types of problems. You know, you read in the textbooks and the avocado pest management manuals, 
you know, these pests that are known to be really bad actors and avocado seed weevil is one. And you would have thought that given the notoriety of these pests like avocado seed weevil, you know, there would have been a ton of research done on these things. But as I'm finding out, and it's often it seems to be the case, is that hardly anything's been done on them. <laughs> so, you know, for example, we don't even know what the pheromone was until we started this work. There's no information on the types of natural enemies that attack avocado seed weevil and whether those natural enemies would be useful in a biological control program here in California. Very little information on what types of insecticides can control this pest. We know nothing about its phenology, mating behavior, ecology, uh, developmental data. So all of this stuff is kind of like wide open. And uh, we're trying to fill in as many of those holes as we can with the grant that we have from the California Department of Food and Agriculture to work proactively on this pest. And along those lines, something else that may be of interest uh, to your listeners is that uh, we've just picked up cotton seed bug here in California, which is a notorious pest of cotton. And similarly, I would have thought this insect would have been really well studied and there would have been tons of information on the basic biology, ecology, and management of this very important cotton pest. But again, that almost, it seems to be another black hole. And uh, we're trying to get a research program running on that pest now to try and just fill in some basic aspects of its biology and ecology so we can develop sustainable IPM programs. So I guess where I'm going with this, it seems to me that it's not really that uncommon for notorious pests, which have significant agricultural um, menace, to be relatively poorly studied and not that well known. Hoddle explains more about the research they have been conducting in Mexico and some of their preliminary findings. We've been running these programs down in Mexico with our Mexican collaborators. So this summer I spent three months down there and we were working in two different places uh, in Huatusco and Veracruz and Malinalco in the state of Mexico. We are working in commercial house avocado orchards and uh, both of these um, sites have a known history of avocado seed weevil problems in them. And uh, prior to going down, um, I collected these seed weevils in Mexico just before COVID hit, actually, and everything got shut down. Established colonies in the quarantine facility at UCR. I had special permits from USDA to do that. And the work that I did in quarantine while the campus net was closed down was to try and figure out and capture the aggregation pheromones that the male weevils released. And we did that. We were able to catch them. A chemical ecologist in our department, Dr. Jocelyn Miller, analyzed those uh, airhead, uh, airhead um, volatile space captures that we had uh, made, and he identified the compounds. It's a very complex molecule, and there's different forms of it. And um, we ran some lab experiments, which we called electro-antennogram experiments, where we cut the antennae off, uh, that sounds kind of mean, uh, the antennae off uh, these weevils, hook them up to a little machine, and then we blow the putative pheromone compounds, uh, compounds over the antenna, and if there are receptors in the antenna that respond to those particular compounds, they basically send out an electrical signal that we can record on some sophisticated electronic equipment. So the mix of compounds in this um, unpurified mix of compounds in this pheromone blend that we brewed up in the lab, or really Jocelyn brewed it up, elicited pretty strong antennal responses. It's like, oh, this looks pretty good. We may have found the, uh, the pheromone. So once COVID was lifted and the 
travel restrictions were eased. I went down to Mexico, as I mentioned, this summer for about three months, worked with my colleagues down there. And we put out the pheromones in different concentrations, different forms. We used a bunch of different traps, different times of day, and we didn't catch any weevils. <laughs> um, so the preliminary field results were a bit disappointing, to say the least, a ton of effort and a lot of field work and hauled an immense amount of gear down there with me to set up all these experiments. So now what we think the issue is, is that because we were testing um, a, a, a mix of different compounds, we have now identified the pure form of the compound in that pheromone mix. And we're now in the process of just making the, the pure form of the, of the pheromone. And we think that the reason that the weevils didn't respond to it was because the other four, so in, 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 in um, organic chemistry, if, if you survived that course and I just haven't made your listeners turn off, you may remember that you could brew up some chemicals and you might end up with something called a racemic mixture. And that would be made up of enantiomers, which would have different chiralities. So you could have left or right-handed forms of those compounds. Well, we were basically trying out a racemic mix of these compounds down in Mexico. And we suspect that the biologically inactive forms of the um, pheromone compounds may have had an antagonistic effect on the biologically active forms of the pheromone. So now we've cleaned all that stuff up, got rid of the junk, and then uh, next spring and summer, I'll go back down there and we'll just field test the pure form of the pheromone. And we are hopeful now that the pure form of the compound will be attractive to the weevils and I'll start finding them in my traps. So we've made a lot of progress. We've sort of, we're almost there now. And then the next step will be to run those field trials next year with the pure form of the pheromone. And then, like I said, hopefully I'll come back after a week and I'll see tons of weevils in my traps and I'll be ecstatic. Hoddle gives thanks to the various partners that have helped on this project and says he is hopeful for the future of this research. Yeah, so um, I'd like to give a shout out to our Mexican collaborators. Uh, we've been working with great people down there. They've made uh, access to their orchards um, readily available to us. They've been very accommodating. And we've had excellent collaborators at the university down there in Mexico as well and graduate students helping us with the work. And we wouldn't be able to do this unless we had really good relations with our overseas colleagues. And it's this sort of um, back and forth recipro re reciprocity that makes this work, you know, possible because California is going to benefit from having the pheromone, you know, incursion monitoring. If something shows up and the pheromone works, we should be able to delineate very quickly where those uh, small incipient populations are. And it's really good for the um, Mexico avocado growers too, because then they'll have a new monitoring tool and it'll increase the um, efficiency of their businesses. And, you know, it'll help bring more and more people into compliance with the USDA uh, export regulations in California, at least the LA basin seems to have an insatiable appetite for avocados. I think it's the world's largest consumer of fresh avocado fruit. So we want the fruit to come in, but we want it to be clean and pest free. And we certainly don't want to put our own avocado industry here in California at risk through the importations of fresh fruit from overseas. This is Kylie Harlan reporting for My Ag Life. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, 
Growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bees' pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure. Be precise. Be Hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero. Superior bees. Superior pollination. Agriculture groups through Farmers for Free Trade are calling on a Senate to confirm two key agricultural trade officials in the Biden administration. The coalition sent a letter to leaders calling for the confirmation of Doug McCallop as chief agricultural negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's office and Alexis Taylor as USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade. The coalition urged the Senate to confirm the duo during the current lame duck session. Time is of the essence to confirm these nominees, the letter points out, and adds that American agriculture culture needs experienced leaders representing us in international negotiations. The letter also highlights the important role that exports and U.S. agriculture play on the entire economy as 20 percent of American farm revenues comes from exports and America's farmers, ranchers, food processors and manufacturers rely on complex and highly integrated supply chains that stretch across international borders. The food and agriculture products we export support over 1 million U.S. jobs. A new report from Farm Journal Foundation finds that increased U.S. investments in agricultural development and innovation are needed to make global food systems more resilient. While climate change impacts agriculture worldwide, its effects are substantially more severe in warm regions, including Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. The report says as much as 80% of the world's poor people who predominantly work in agriculture live in areas increasingly affected by climate change. The new report follows the United Nations Nations' COP27 conference held earlier in November, where leaders discussed the impact of climate change on the global food system and solutions to make agriculture more resilient. The report says investing in agricultural sustainability in developing countries is in the U.S. national interest as it would prevent future food crisis, reduce the need for emergency food aid, support stability in developing countries, and potentially reduce mass migration and civil unrest. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer reviews the latest agricultural trade forecast. We updated from August our forecast for U.S. agricultural trade. The forecast for exports was revised down $3.5 billion to $190 billion, while imports were revised up $2 billion to $199 billion. So that is a record large import number. And uh, imports exceed exports by $9 billion. USA Chief Economist Seth Meyer. A major northeastern Canadian and U.S. shipping route is experiencing low water levels. Farm News reporter Dennis Guy has more. Not quite as severe as parts of the Mississippi River, but agricultural products originating from the Great Lake ports on both Canada and the U.S. side represent about 40% of the St. Lawrence Seaway trade. The St. Lawrence River is the final leg of the Great Lakes shipping system, linking Lake Ontario with the Atlantic Ocean. Grains and oilseeds shipped on the St. Lawrence go primarily for overseas export, and cargo volumes include corn, soybeans, wheat, barley, oats, and flaxseed. 
St. Lawrence River levels have declined over the past few months and forecasts by the Canadian Coast Guard call for further declines. Smaller, lighter loads that allow ships to ride higher in the water has increased storage demand, resulting in higher rates at all ports along the St. Lawrence Seaway. One of those is the Port of Hamilton on Lake Ontario between Toronto and Niagara Falls. Jeff Barlow, a grain farmer near Hamilton, says many grain export buyers in his area are not currently bidding for corn due to a lack of elevator storage and lake freighter space. Barlow, who sits on the Grain Farmers of Ontario executive, thinks that he'll have to sit on most of his crop through the winter. If you had corn or beans to move right now in the Hamilton area with three major exporters, Harrison Heimbecker, G3, and Richardson's, all with no bid for corn. And local elevators that rely on taking their grain into the ports to get exported, they're backed up. I'm worried, kind of rely on ports. We're in Ontario, right? We produce more grain than we can use here, especially corn. We export it. I think this stuff's going to have to wait till spring. Ontario's corn yields were at best average this year, but the mild, dry fall weather saw a lot of acres come off very quickly. Jeff Barlow says that Ontario's corn is mostly exported, so much of it is now just sitting and waiting to find a home. Everybody got everything off really quick. Yields were decent. They weren't record-breaking, but everybody just had all the stuff to move, and we're a just-in-time area because we kind of rely on these three major exporters in our area that buy and sell green. U.S. and Canadian officials are considering boosting water flow on the eastern end of Lake Ontario to improve conditions for commercial ship traffic on the St. Lawrence Seaway. But in the meantime, Jeff Barlow says some companies in his area hope to move some crop across the border, something he hasn't done lately because of the much higher U.S. dollar exchange in recent years. It's been five years since we moved anything across the border, mostly because of dollar difference. But even with the expensive freight, with the dollar being higher in the U.S., we might be able to move some of that stuff over there. As well as the Mississippi and the St. Lawrence, other inland river freight routes have been plagued with lower-than-normal water levels. Major European and Chinese water freight routes, the Rhine River, and the Yangtze River have both experienced low water levels this year. Reporting from Canada, I'm Dennis Guy. And thanks in large part to inflation, the price of milk has moved higher throughout the year with the average price of a gallon of whole milk up nearly 60 cents, sitting at 4.41 in October. Dan Wood, executive director of the Washington State Dairy Federation, says dairy farmers in his state and across the nation continue to struggle thanks to input costs that are rising faster than the price of milk. With the cost being up, we're seeing a number of farms have gone out of business, and so we're seeing more consolidation. So despite the farm gate price of milk being up, it's been a pretty tough year for a lot of dairy farmers. Wood says weather has not helped dairy farmers this past year, noting he anticipates a feed supply issue into 2023 and energy costs are hurting farmers as well. He adds that the Biden administration's effort to move the U.S. off of fossil fuels has made the country dependent on overseas sources of energy. If we were producing our own energy in this nation and less dependent on OPEC or Venezuela or Russia, then we would be more insulated from world events and world economic trends. Wood says energy independence is critical for all the sectors of the American economy, including agriculture. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Ficoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Ficoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% 
and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.